Welcome to All About Boys, a podcast that explores the mind and hearts of boys, who they are, and what they need from the adults in their lives. All About Boys is hosted by David Thomas, a licensed counselor, speaker, and author in Nashville, Tennessee. All About Boys is part of the Rooted family of podcasts. Rooted is a ministry that's focused on advancing gospel-centered youth ministry. To learn more, visit our website, www.rootedministry.com. Here's your host, David Thomas. Welcome back to All About Boys. I'm David Thomas. I'm a son, a husband, a father, and a therapist who's worked with kids, adolescents, and families for decades. Now, I've been doing this work for almost 25 years, and I've spent a lot of time with boys and their moms. It's a unique relationship. I believe it's best understood within the context of where he is developmentally. If you haven't already, I'd go back to the first episode of this podcast to lean into what's happening in each stage of development and what he's needing. I break down five stages of development, what's going on with boys in each stage, and what he needs in response to that. And I believe leaning into development not only frames what's normal, but defines much of the push and pull of relationship we experience with boys in different moments of his growing up. Otherwise, we start to take some things personally that have less to do with the relationship and more to do with his development. For example, in stage four, the wanderer stage, which is roughly 13 to 17 years of age, he is individuating. He's separating out. He's becoming his own person and finding his own voice. And my experience with a high percentage of boys in that stage is that boys are more clumsy in that separating out than it is a clean process. It's more of a clumsy process than a clean process. One of the things, there are many things happening, but one of the things happening is that our voice as parents gets softer. And when this happens, the tendency can be to talk more or to talk louder, (laughs) neither of which are effective. In that moment, he needs other voices. It's not that our voices aren't important. The voices of his peers gets louder. That's normal. But we know that 13-year-old boys can't raise 13-year-old boys into men. He needs adults to usher him into adulthood. We want to be praying in and strategically ushering in other healthy adult voices. This could be teachers, coaches, youth pastors, d-group leaders, aunts and uncles, parents of friends, adults who can speak truth to him in ways that capture his attention differently. Moms listening, I want to challenge you strongly around that idea of talking more or talking louder. It's easy to do. It's tempting to do, especially when you're convinced he's not listening or not listening as well. Ushering in other voices is hands down the more effective path to take. Let's talk for a moment about the uniqueness of your relationship. Let's discuss a unique calling you have in his life and some unique challenges that you face. Moms, you teach boys something unique about relationship. In my book, Wild Things, The Art of Nurturing Boys, I speak at 
every stage about some unique needs he has specific to his relationship with you. I also devote an entire chapter to mothers and sons because there's so much to this relationship. There have been entire books written about mothers and sons. It's such a foundational, important relationship in his life. Within the chapter I wrote, I talk about how you are a mirror for masculinity. A boy sees so much of his masculinity through relationship with you. He learns how to interact with the opposite sex and how that relationship works by being in relationship first with you. Which leads to the unique challenges. And I want to talk about three. I want to talk about being safe. I want to talk about letting go, and I'd like to discuss staying steady and and what that means. And I want to paint some pictures of you to help those ideas, those concepts, maybe make a little more sense. So let's start with being safe, which I'll call an anchor for security. And if I think all the way back to what that being safe looks like, I think about my own twin sons and When they were in stage one of their development, they went away for the first time when they were three years old to a Mother's Day Out preschool experience. And I can still remember day one of that experience because my wife called right after drop-off and she just needed to check in. She just needed to talk for a moment about what it was like to drop her babies, her last off at school for the first time. We had a great conversation, and then a few hours later, it's a half-day experience, she called back to talk about pickup. She didn't sound so great in this moment, and the conversation started in this way. I need to tell you what your sons just did, and rarely when a conversation starts there that they're only my children, is it going to be good news that follows? (laughs) It, It started well. It didn't end so great. She started talking about walking to get them in their classroom, standing outside the door and seeing them, but they didn't see her. You know those moments we get sometimes as parents when we see our kids in their environment, but they don't see us, and we just get to watch them, observe them? She had a moment like that, and she just stood, and there they were in their new space, their new classroom with their new teacher and their new friends, and they were stacking blocks and building this design with two more of their new friends, And at about the exact same moment, they looked up and saw her. And they came running across the room as fast as they could. And they headbutted her. (laughs) They literally rammed into her stomach with their heads, one on one side, one on the other, like they'd been plotting this all day long. Okay, when mom comes for pickup, I'll get her from the left, you get her from the right. (laughs) And it almost knocked her over. She was so embarrassed that this happened on day one in front of the teacher. And we were talking it through. And I said, honey, hear me say, I think that was their little boy way of saying, mommy, I've missed you so much that I need to ram my body into you. And we're going to become one, like one being. And mom's listening as you hear that story. I want to say to you that I think that is such a picture of your relationship with him. I think you are like the center of his universe. I think you are like this planet that he is orbiting around. You're like home plate. You're the base that he's always running back to. You're an anchor for security. And you will experience that safety throughout. I think it fascinates me all the different ways and times I've sat with moms of boys from preschool 
all the way through high school, even into college, who come home from college and will tell their moms things that they wouldn't tell any other person in the world. And sometimes that's in the safety or the security of bedtime when you're putting a five-year-old boy to bed and it's quiet and you're snuggling or you're scratching his back and he's just telling you about his day because his emotional defenses are down. He's kind of raw, pure version of himself. It's that safety, that security he experiences where he'll share so much of who he is. I believe that throughout a boy's development, he will give often the most of who he is to you, which includes the best, but also, you know what I'm about to say, includes the worst. In getting the most of who he is, you'll get both sides. And it's a a part of where I want the being safe to also include a lot of strength, which we're going to talk even more about in a moment when we discuss staying steady. But I want you to hold on to that, that idea, that image of an anchor. You're there for security. I'm okay with boys being in relationship with their mom and talking things through and struggling aloud, but I don't want him to feel the freedom to cross over the line into disrespect with you in the process. Maybe the best way to say it would be this. You are a sounding board, but not a verbal punching bag. Let me say that again. You are a sounding board, not a verbal punching bag. And in the episode on boys and emotions, we talked about how often boys can use their moms not as an anchor for security, but an anchor for regulation. Remember that moment in the conversation when we talked about the importance of helping him develop self-soothing strategies or else he'll just continue that pattern of anchoring to you, needing you to be his source of regulation rather than him doing the work of regulation. And I shared with you the example of a toddler age boy who's just following his mom around and melting down. Let's fast forward that into his future. I want to pick that conversation up where we left off and say to you that unless we interrupt this pattern of anchoring to you rather than developing regulation skills, developing self-soothing strategies, what will happen is that he will get roadblocked and stuck in this place. And we discussed then that boys can get stuck and roadblocked in a lot of moments of life, but emotionally in particular. And, you know, I think about so many boys I've seen who were stuck over the course of years in this space of just anchoring to their moms over and over because they didn't, don't, they didn't want to do the work of regulation. And I think about a 15-year-old boy I was working with years ago, and he had a, a great, strong mom. This kid, let me, let me paint a picture of him. He was really bright. I'm not talking about just above average. This kid was likely in the superior range of intelligence. He was highly intelligent. There's no question in my mind this kid would someday, you know, by the time he hit junior year, probably just knock it out of the park with his ACT and SAT scores. He would likely have an insane GPA. He's probably well on track to be a National Merit Scholar. This is the kind of kid that doors academically were going to open for him. What concerned me greatly about this young man heading into that season of life into college is that despite all these gifts intellectually, I worried he could really tank emotionally because he was so stuck in this pattern. And so I talked with his mom about putting some things in place that really allowed space for him to develop and that he was not going to like this work of regulation and she was going to have to stay really strong and steady. 
in helping set the stage and waiting out him developing the needed skills because he was so clearly behind. I would say this kid was chronologically 15, intellectually, no telling how far ahead he was, emotionally hovering around toddlerhood. I mean, he was just melting down, having these explosive, eruptive experiences where he would create what his mom described as what felt like a hostage crisis at time. Because what I want to say about this young man, and it's true for any parent listening who has a gifted young man on your hands, those boys so oftentimes are verbally skilled. That's why we laugh and say he'll make a great lawyer someday. But what it's like to negotiate with him at 5, 10, 15, it's exhausting. And so They are so skilled verbally that they can just trap you in debate and negotiation. And for, you know, this mom, it felt like a hostage crisis, like she was engaged with a terrorist. (laughs) And I would laugh with you there and say, remember the United States position on terrorists is we do not negotiate with terrorists. That, That became my mantra to this mom. We could laugh about where it felt like that in moments. And I would just say, stay close to that mindset. Don't negotiate with him because negotiation always turned into anchoring. So this, this young man in those tendencies required a conversation in a non-problematic time where he and his mom sat down and she said, hey, we for too long have gotten into what feels like tug of war, just back and forth, arguing, negotiating. You can't handle me saying no, or even maybe you just launch into this negotiation immediately because you can't work with the information I'm giving you. And I want to say to you, as I've said to you in the past, we're going to start taking a break. I'm going to drop the rope. We're not playing tug of war. I'm going to go to my room and I want you to go to your room. And this kid, by the way, would never go to his room when she told him to. So I said to her, you can't control him going to his room. You can't control you going to yours because, again, he was a big adolescent. I said, I want you to go to your room. She had told me that he would, like many young men who are skilled in anchoring, even if she went to a room and closed the door, walk right in, just would violate boundaries, which we'll talk more about that in a later episode, but would invade her personal space and, again, just unwilling to do the work of regulation. So I said, in this non-problematic conversation, I want you to say to him, I'm going to go to my room and I'm going to lock my door to remove the opportunity for you to violate the boundary of me having space. And he listened, but clearly forgot because the first time he heard a no, he immediately started negotiating. She looked him in the eye and said, I love you too much to argue, which I think is a great statement to make to a boy of any age who's stuck in that pattern of anchoring and negotiating. I love you too much to argue. I'm going to my room to take a break. I suggest you go to yours. She went straight to her room. He followed her there, forgetting she'd said she was going to lock the door, grabbed the handle, couldn't get in. And what do you think happened next? And some of you out there may be thinking, I bet he started banging on the door, which some teenage boys would do. This kid, though, was really bright. And he didn't bang on the door. He started knocking in this low, obnoxious tap, kind of like nails on a chalkboard, like trying to draw her out, like I'm just going to annoy her out of this bedroom. (laughs) That's what he did. That was his strategy. That's all he could think to do. Even though she had set the stage, he couldn't think of anything he could do to attend to himself, to regulate himself, to self-soothe in that moment. So he's just kind of trying to draw her out. And this very wise mom had thought through what would happen in that kind of moment and then shouted out, you know what, I'm going to put my headphones in 
and listen to a podcast, which I thought was brilliant. When she told me this story in my office, I got up out of my chair and I walked over to the couch where she was sitting and I high-fived her. I thought that was so brilliant. She listened to a podcast. 15 minutes later, she took her headphones out and there was silence. And she thought, yes, finally we're making some headway. She got up off her bed and he must have floor he must have heard the floor creak because he was still standing outside of her bedroom. Can you believe that? Fifteen minutes later, still doing nothing to soothe himself, nothing to work through the frustration, the emotion of the no, and he was just waiting her out still. And he leaned into the door. This was his last ditch effort. And this gives you such a picture of his intelligence, too. So, because really bright boys are often highly, not, not only highly skilled in negotiation, they're highly skilled in manipulation, too. And he leaned in and said, What kind of mother won't listen to her own son? <laughs> I mean, I just have to laugh when I say that. I mean, that's like an Olympic gold medal in manipulation. What kind of mother won't listen to her own son? He was again making desperate efforts to bait her back into the exchange. Anything he could think of to draw her back into anchoring so that she would do the work of regulation for him rather than him having to do it himself. So this mom was reminded again in this moment, and I would remind many of you moms listening right now who have a son who's skilled in the art of negotiation, skilled in the art of manipulation, skilled in the art of anchoring that it is work to set the stage for regulation and to wait him out. And this mom was simply reminded again in this moment, we've got work to do. But I'm thankful she was up for the task because she wisely knew if I let this keep going forward, this is the kind of kid who I'm the most afraid for going away to college because if he doesn't have the skills in place to regulate well, where I'm never surprised those kids will start engaging things like substances, trying to numb out the emotions, trying to shut down whatever they're experiencing because they simply cannot work, work with it, work for it, work through it in a way that's needed and productive. So I want to challenge you that this work of being safe, being an anchor for security, involves a lot of strength. And again, you want to be a sounding board, not a punching bag. Hey, listeners, this is Davis Lacey, podcast producer for Rooted, and I wanted to take a little break from this conversation to tell you about Rooted 2020, our nationwide micro-conferences, bringing Rooted to your town. Ten years ago, Rooted hosted its first-ever conference in Birmingham, Alabama, with only 31 youth pastors, and that little conference turned into a movement focused on equipping, educating, and encouraging youth ministers and parents to disciple teenagers to lifelong faith in Jesus Christ. Due to COVID-19, the Rooted team has re-envisioned our annual conference and organized nationwide micro-conferences across the United States where youth pastors can gather while observing COVID-19 safety protocols and pray together, watch video content together, discuss together, sing together, and fellowship together. These micro-conferences will be held in dozens of cities across the country on September 24th, and we invite you to join us. Visit www.rootedministry.com and click on Conference to register today. 
And now back to this amazing conversation. That leads us into the second idea. I want to talk for a minute about letting go. About loving him enough to let him separate out. Loving him enough to let him fall down and get back up and dust himself off the way we all need to do in life. I talk about stage three and stage four in that first episode on boys being a time where he begins and continues into that process of setting, separating out. And, and I, I want to always be clear when I speak to that of, of saying this doesn't mean that he stops having relationship with you as a mom. It simply means the relationship starts to look different and that it's an important part of his individuating process, of his masculine journey. He has to separate out from all things feminine and move headstrong toward all things masculine. Again, he's not stopping having a relationship with you. He needs you. You heard me say earlier, he may still be sharing a lot of details of his life with you. You're just doing the relationship differently. And that allowing him to fall down part is, I also think, a, a, a difficult space for mom because... From early into your relationship, your journey with him as a son, you've been accustomed to meeting his needs. I mean, think about a mother and an infant son. I mean, you are responsible for all of his primary needs. The needs of feeding him, the needs of comforting him, the needs of helping him move into sleep and rest and all the different parts and pieces that will define your relationship in the going forward in the category of nurture. So it won't feel instinctive to start to move away from some of those roles and the way you executed those roles in that early part of his life into the letting go part. The developing of independence, the setting the stage for responsibility, the setting the stage for regulation and resourcefulness, these important categories we're discussing. And I think about the examples I've experienced over the years in talking with moms of ways that they've learned to let go, what that looked like in the everyday. And I, I think about another 15-year-old boy and an amazing mom I worked with years ago. And this young man, in the summer of his 15th year of life, got his driving driver's permit and was working toward getting his license. And spending a lot of time driving in the car. He also got his first part-time job at Chick-fil-A. And it was a great experience. And this kid worked through the summer and clocked in a lot of hours and earned some money and did a lot of driving. The school year started, and he came to his parents and asked, could I keep working on the weekends, maybe one or two afternoons a week, if I can keep my grades up? And his parents said, absolutely. As long as you can keep your grades up, we're great with you clocking in some hours at your part-time job, continuing to make some money towards saving toward a car. And this worked great in the fall. This kid was a great student, great athlete. And as he got closer to his basketball season, he started having more and longer practice after school. And, you know, with the working schedule, it was getting harder to manage. And, He was also experiencing that it was difficult even just to find more free time to hang out with his friends. So he had one afternoon what he thought was a great idea. He announced to his mom, you know what, I'm going to start taking my uniform with me. And rather than having you pick me up from basketball practice, come home and take a shower and then do 
a short evening shift at Chick-fil-A. I'm just going to go straight to work, bypass the shower, change in the bathroom there, do my shift so I've got a little more time to hang out with my buddies after basketball. Now, for any of you listening, and you have an, uh, an athletic son, particularly an athletic adolescent son, you know that adolescent boys after a sports practice have a very special smell to them. (laughs) It's not a pleasant smell, but it is a unique scent. And this mom, in response to his quote-unquote great idea, started to say, okay, that's about the worst idea I've ever heard. You absolutely are going to have to go home and take a shower. You're going to smell terrible. But she had sat in a class I taught on adolescent boys and remembered me talking about the letting go and all the different ways moms have to support boys and move against instinct. And she was in that moment wisely, wonderfully moving against the instinct to give too much input, that talk too much, talk more, talk louder. We talked a little about that earlier. And also the instinct of connecting the dots for him as opposed to setting the stage for him to connect the dots himself. So she simply said, well, we'll see how that works out. So she picked him up from practice on the first day of this quote-unquote great idea. He had his uniform in the car. She took him straight to work. She wisely didn't go home because she thought I might get a call. She went around the corner to Starbucks, got a cup of coffee, and sat at the table to read. And sure enough, 20 minutes into his shift, she got a call. He simply said, I need you to come pick me up. She pulled up didn't ask a lot of questions. He said, I need to go home and take a shower, and then will you take me back to work? And she said, I will. She took him back to work. The next day, she went to have lunch at Chick-fil-A with a girlfriend, and the manager saw her. He knew her from having come in several times when he had shifts, and he walked out and said, I guess you noticed that I sent him home yesterday. And she said, I did. He said, I want you to know what I said to him. She said, I called him back in my office, and I said, son, The smell of you and chicken is not working for anyone here. (laughs) I love that statement. He then said, I want you to go home and take a shower right now. While you're gone, I'm going to dock your pay. And if you were to ever come to work again, not clean, you're going to lose your job. The mom said, David, I almost leaned across the table and kissed this man on the mouth. (laughs) She said, I was so grateful for the wisdom of his words and that other voice that I mentioned earlier. He could be another voice that could speak some truth into his life and help him make some of those needed connections differently than she could. And his voice was so powerful that that young man never, ever again test drove not going to work without a shower. He took him at his word. And again, other adults will have the ability to say some things that will land on our sons differently. She could have said the exact same thing. She could have predicted all of how that might play out. And I don't think he could have made the connections in the same way as her allowing him to experience the gravity of his own consequences. That's a part of letting go. Lastly, I'd like to talk about staying steady. And in adolescence, as we discussed in that first episode, he is going to be in the middle of 
a biological and a hormonal tsunami. He's going to experience five to seven surges of testosterone a day. His body and his brain are going to be hijacked for a period of time. And as he is experiencing intense emotions and at times, as we discuss, more argumentative and disrespectful, and again, we're not going to let him off the hook with being the worst version of himself. We're still going to have boundaries. We're still going to have consequences. All those things are going to be in place. But we're going to stay steady through his ups and downs and avoid a tendency to what I call board the crazy train in those moments where he's just out of his mind, where he isn't rational, where he's in a full-blown adolescent episode. We're going to stay steady and strong. And again, we're going to be a sounding board, not a verbal punching bag. We're not going to let him off the hook with disrespect. We're going to have consequences when he goes off the rails. But we're going to stay steady in knowing that this is a season of development. This is an, a moment, an episode in his adolescence. This doesn't define all of who he is. I sat with a mom of a 14-year-old boy not long ago, and she said to me, David, he is never going to. And I held up a pause signal, and I stopped her mid-sentence and just said, you know what? I'm going to pause you right there. Whatever you are about to say is not true. You can't make decisions about who he's going to be for the rest of his life as a 14-year-old boy. I don't know about you listening, but I don't want to go down in history as who I was as a 14-year-old boy. (laughs) No one would have ever thought I would grow up to be a therapist, that's for certain, because that was a moment in my development, the most complicated moment of my development. I was a developing person as every boy is in that moment. And what every boy needs his parents to do all throughout adolescence is to parent with a long view. Parent with a long view. Keep casting a vision for who God is making him to be. Not who he is just in this moment, but all of who God is making him to be. And keep calling that out through the hardest moments of his adolescence to remind him of who God is making to be because he's going to forget it about himself. And I want to give you a snapshot of that. I worked with a young man throughout the most complicated moments of his adolescence, and I saw him do a lot of the push and pull of relationship with his mom in particular, giving her the most of who he was, the best and the hardest parts. And she stayed steady in ways that I had seen few moms do. And, and this mom happened to be a single mom. She and his father had divorced early on. And she was a single parent for a period of time, remarried. And then he had a very complicated relationship with his stepdad after they were remarried. So it wasn't like that became a perfect chapter in their story at that point. But throughout some hard seasons in his life and hard moments unique to their relationship, she employed all of these ideas we've been talking around throughout our time of just being safe and letting go and staying steady in in ways that were mind-blowing to me and watching her. And I kept calling that out with her in time I spent with her as a mom. And I had a chance to check in with this young man uh, over Christmas break of his freshman year of college. He wanted to come back in and meet for a check-in point. And I met for part of the time with him and met for part of the time with his mom, and he had recently turned 19, and he sent a text home to his mom 
while he was away at school, and I asked if she would be willing to share that text with me that I could share and encourage other parents who are working to try to parent with a long view in mind. And this is a text that came to her from her 19-year-old son. It said, Hey, Mom, I'm going to bed, but I just felt the need to tell you how amazing of a parent and mother you are. I am so blessed to have you as my mom, and I don't know what I would do if you weren't. When I was growing up, I know it was difficult for both of us. Since you and my dad got divorced, and I didn't always get along with my stepdad. But during that time, you were the one that influenced me the most. I learned everything from you, either from you telling me or just watching you be an example. And if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be the same person I am right now. I can imagine that being a parent is really hard, and you question yourself a lot and wonder if you're doing the right thing and raising your kid the right way. But I just want you to know that you did it right, and I'm so lucky to have that. If I become a parent one day, my goal is to try and do for my kids what you did for me. I'm sorry for all the times that I've gotten mad or questioned what you were doing and why. You have always been so generous and patient with me, especially when I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing. I love you so much from the bottom of my heart. She wept as she was reading his words to me. What she had waited to hear for a long time. What she wasn't sure she would ever hear from him. Certainly not in that way. And I wept as she read just hearing it. And and to think about having sat front row to some of the hardest moments of his adolescence and the fruit of being safe and letting go and staying steady. And I share those words in ways that I hope can be encouragement to you and to say to you the obvious, I don't believe that young man could have written those words in the same way with the same meaning when he was 15 or 16 or necessarily even 17 or 18. And I think boys are beginning to develop more abstract thinking in the latter part of adolescence in ways that they can start to see the world and all of their relationships, certainly their parents differently, seeing them more as people and not just parents and their capacity to say and do things differently. But he was capable of saying those things in 19 after some distance, after being away for the first time and doing some of that figuring out of life the way I think every one of us does uniquely when we leave home and have some distance in space, and we can reflect and see things differently. And that wise mom was embodying some words that I read decades ago. I read a book by a woman named Gina Bria called The Art of Family, and she defined motherhood in this way. And this mom lived those lived these words out in in remarkable ways. I want you to hear this definition of motherhood. Gina Bria said, the work of mothering a son is mostly about stepping aside with precise timing. I want my sons to learn from me that they are free to be rooted in home and still be abroad in the world as men. Let me read that again. The work of mothering a son is mostly about stepping aside with precise timing. 
I want my sons to learn from me that they are free to be rooted in home and still be abroad in the world as men. Do you hear the evidence in that definition of all the things we've been discussing, those unique places that you'll step into? Do you hear the being safe, the letting go, the staying steady that I believe are essential ingredients that are a part of this extraordinary relationship that shapes and defines so much of who he is as a boy and who he will become as a man. Hold on to that as you journey forward. Thank you for camping out in this space today to think about the boys you love. Come back and join me again. We're going to balance the scale and talk uh, in an, uh, a future episode about boys and dads and the uniqueness of that relationship as well. Thanks so much. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of All About Boys with David Thomas. For more grace-filled, gospel-centered, Bible-saturated resources, be sure to visit www.rootedministry.com. As always, special thanks to High Street Hymns for the music in this podcast. This podcast is made available to you by the Rooted Ministry for educational purposes, not to provide specific therapeutic advice. The views expressed are the personal perspectives of the author and do not represent the views of all counselors or of the counseling profession. This podcast does not create a counselor-client relationship and should not be used as a substitute for competent therapeutic counsel from a licensed professional in your state.